Well, we're starting a series called Inside Out, uh, but that's not really what I, was, what I want to talk about, first of all. Hey, um, it's good to be back, and um, it was wonderful to see the teaching team that God has put together here while I was off. I mean, Thomas and Kim did an extraordinary job, and yeah, we, we, we're kind of... We're kind of blessed, and this is going to sound kind of self-serving, but, you know, to have some people that God has really authentically given teaching gifts to, whose motives are sincere and pure, uh, who love God and love people, and so it's, uh, it's just a cool thing to be a part of. Anyhow, I don't really need this thing. I'm just doing it because I want your sympathy. Uh, <laughs> no, I do, I do need it for quite a while longer. Um, I'm going to wear an eye patch when this goes away, though, because I, <laughs> I just think they're cool, and you'll feel sorry for me more. <laughs> Uh, May 9th, on 2014, this couple in California were walking their property. Now, they had done this lots of times. They had been in the house for years. And uh, they happened to notice something kind of protruding from the ground. It just looked like a rusty top of a can, which it was. And uh, they probably had passed this thing by, who knows, for years, many times, never given much thought. And this time, they were drawn to it. They went over to the can. And here's a picture of what they found. Now, in this can were gold coins from that 19 or 1840 to 1860 period. And uh, the worth of these gold coins, this doesn't show the whole number of them, uh, equals that to about $10 million. <laughs> now, here's the thing. It was always there. The worth, the value was always there. But they didn't realize it. They just kept walking by it. In fact, when they first saw it, it didn't look like anything of any worth at all. It just kind of looked like a rusty tin can, which is not worth much. But the secret was always there. The secret was inside. And yet, you know and I know, they weren't living like people that were wealthy or that had something of value. Because even though it was there, even though it was theirs, even though they did have something of value and they were wealthy, they didn't, they didn't realize it. It was inside the ground, and it had to get outside. And we're starting in a series of messages. They're all going to come from the book of New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. And uh, as weeks go on, I'll give you a little bit more background on what 2 Corinthians' main focus is. But what I'll say today is this, that in this process of reading 2 Corinthians through, you, you come out with these little snapshots. They're almost casually tossed in, the, these little insights that God gives of what he sees inside of his people, those that have returned to him in trust, in faith, and they give us a glimpse of a value, of a treasure that we possess inside that may look an awful lot or even feel an awful lot like a rusty can, but in fact, it's a treasure. It's something of great value, not just to us, to God, but more importantly to others, but it needs to be discovered and it needs to be deployed needs to be used. So with that as a starting point, I want to use something in this series, and, and I'm going to probably take it all through this series, and I might even take it through the rest of my ministry. I don't know. Um, we'll see how much traction it gets. But here's what I was thinking about when, during the weeks I was off. I was thinking about a lot of things, but one of them was this. When we gather like this in places like this, and I'm going to assume, you know, that there are wonderful, wonderful, in fact, I know, wonderful, wonderful churches all across the land where you have truly gifted and called 
teachers and servants of God and so forth. And so every time we as God's people gather like this, we have a tremendous opportunity. Something of great value is always offered when God's word is accurately and honestly proclaimed. But the truth is, after doing it for as many years as I'm doing it and talking to as many people as I talk to, the truth is, some people derive that great value. They come in on a Sunday, just like you are here, and they receive something of great value, and unfortunately, some do not. And I got thinking about this. What, what makes the difference? And I think I narrowed it down to something that's pretty certain based on my years of experience. And so here's the question I'd like to ask you to start with. Why are you here today? I mean, it seems like an obvious question, maybe, but it's not nearly as obvious as you might think. I mean, there could be any number of reasons, good reasons even, that you're here. Oh, someone invited me. I'm here because I think it's better for our family. I'm here because I want to just explore my spirituality. I mean, and there's nothing bad about these reasons, but, but here's the truth. Unless, truth be told, unless you're here for this next reason that I'm going to put on the board in a minute, you will not derive the maximum value. You won't. Just trust me. You won't that God wants you to have by spending the time you're going to spend in a place like this. So here's the next question. Are you here seeking to hear from God today? You might have all kinds of other good reasons to be here, but I'm telling you, trust me on this one. If you are not here for this singular reason, I want to hear from God today. That's why I'm here. You won't derive the maximum benefit in any places of worship like this anywhere in the world. You won't. You won't. That's the question, that's the attitude that me, you, all of us need to come into places like this every single time that we gather. Now that leads to a second. Are you eager and open to whatever the Lord wants you to consider? You see, I'm subjective just like you're subjective. Whatever's on my mind, whatever's going through my life, whatever problem I may face, whatever challenge, I kind of want to hear God speak to me directly about that. I want him to comfort me, soothe me, uh, deliver me, give me a new idea, give me a new insight. But what if, what if God wants to talk to me about something entirely different, something that I may feel is irrelevant, something that I may feel is even disappointing. God, you see that, that I really needed some help in this area. Why are you talking to me about that? I don't even care about that. But if we believe that God knows us better than we know ourselves and loves us more than we love ourselves, then we should be willing and eager and open to whatever the Lord wants you to do. Now I want you to personalize these. Answer the first question for yourself. Don't raise your hand. Are you here seeking to hear from God today? If you're not, you're going you're to cheat yourself. Second question. Can God talk to you about anything at all today? And you will be eager and open to receive it. Really? really think about this because that will make the difference in your experience here today I'm, I'm not trying to be hard case i'm just telling you the truth that just is what it is all right now we want to turn the corner and get a little more specific to the start of this series of messages and i'm going to do it in the same way asking you a question so we'll go to that which would you want to describe your life i mean really which of these two descriptions would you want to be a description of your life Here's the number, number one option. Live a, <laughs> that threw me, live a very comfortable, you could have just left me up here. I, I don't know what I'm doing yet, but I could read it. It was okay. Uh, live, lived a very comfortable life, basically trouble-free life. Would you want that to be the description of you? You lived a very comfortable life, 
basically trouble-free life? Or would you want this second one? Experienced some significant troubles, but found ways to use them to significantly help others. Now leave those up there for just a minute. I want you to take these to heart. Which God who sees our hearts, which do we really want? Do we want a smooth, basically smooth, easygoing life? Or would we rather have a life It's going to have some significant troubles, but we will be able to use those significant troubles to really have an impact, a positive impact on the lives of others. Think that through. Because that will make a big difference as to what you derive beneficially wise from this message here again today. So we're going to turn to that book that I mentioned in the beginning, 2 Corinthians, and we'll start right in the first chapter. It'll be page uh, 1300 on those uh, Bibles of New Year on the chair. 2 Corinthians, and again, we're going to just look at these, these little portraits that God kind of sprinkles in here. He looks at us from the inside, wants us to see what he sees so that we can live it out. And one of the things that God sees of great value in his people is that we are potentially a bunch of wounded healers. We are people that experience wounds, but these wounds become the basis of our expanded capacity to bring his healing to other people, wounded healers. And I go so far as to say that you'll see in this passage, you and I really can't offer much of God's healing to someone else until we've been sufficiently wounded. So anyway, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit bigger. So let's go to 1 Corinthians, and again, it's uh, page 1300, and we're, we're going to look at verse chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, then I'm going to jump you down to verse 8 and 9. And uh, this is written by the Apostle Paul. Again, he had been serving Christ for about 21 years when he wrote this book. And we'll unpack a little more background as the series goes on. He says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all what? Meaning that every bit of comfort that you and I ever experience in life, it ultimately is sourced in God. Just like in James it says that everything that is good in this life, it it is ultimately sourced in God. We may not give God credit for it. We may not say that I didn't recognize God comforting me personally, or I didn't recognize God giving me that good thing, but it says that ultimately he is the originator and all of it flows from him. So every bit of comfort that you and I have ever received in our life of any sort from anyone, even from an atheist, uh, it's ultimately... God's comfort. He's the source of it. It wouldn't exist if it weren't for him. So he's the God of all comfort. Let's look at verse 4. Who comforts us in all our troubles. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those experiencing any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, we're going to unpack that a little bit more as the message goes on. But we get an answer right, right off the bat. It says that, first of all, God always comforts us. There's no such thing as having a trouble that God does not offer us comfort. Second thing, he wants us to learn by the comfort we experience how that we can comfort other people who are going through the exact same kind of troubles. It's the so that he comforts us, so that we might comfort others in the same kind of trouble. Drop down to verse 8, and now the the Apostle Paul gets real personal about a trouble that he was going through prior to coming Uh, to the Corinthians. He says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, regarding the affliction that happened to us in the province of Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength. 
I'm just curious, how many of you have ever felt like you're just not able to take anymore? You're done. You can't take it anymore. You're beyond your strength. That's what he's describing. But his gets even more specific and severe. He says, so that we despaired even of living. Maybe many of you have been there. Indeed, we felt as if the sentence of death had been passed against us so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. So he says in verse 9, he says, listen, we, we, we came to the conclusion after 21 years, he's 21 years serving Christ, he says, I just thought my time was over and that God was now going to take me out of this life. I thought this was our death, death sentence, but he says, this happened. I was in this terrible trouble. I was at this point of complete despair, thinking I was going to die. I couldn't take any more, couldn't handle one more morsel. It happened to me so that I would learn not to depend on myself, but on God, who can even raise the dead. Now, I know what, I, what, what the truth is about some of you in this room. Some of you in this room have been where he's talking about. You know exactly what he means. You've been to the place where you felt like you were going to die or you even felt like I'd rather die. And you didn't even know what you were going to do, where you were going to turn. You don't even exactly maybe to this day know how you came through it. But you found some way to drink in a little more oxygen, to keep that heart beating a little bit longer. And you were somehow strengthened and comforted sufficiently somehow from somebody, somewhere. Ultimately, it was God providing it. But you, you made it through. But you know what he's talking about. Some of you have laid on a floor in a room somewhere and you cried until your insides hurt. You thought, you thought that literally something was going to come out of your insides. You cried so hard. Some of you have lived the feel like my life will never be the same again. I don't know that I'll ever be happy again. I don't know that I'll ever trust again. I don't know that I'll ever love again. I don't know that I'll ever have love again. I don't know that there'll be such a thing as a good day ever again. But yet, you're here. Somehow God sufficiently, whether we knew it or didn't know it, he, he comforted us, he strengthened us. And so the place I want to start with is this, is that since he's the God of all comfort, who does comfort us in all of our troubles, whether we understand it or not, we have to start by cherishing his comfort. It really matters. It's really profound once we understand that there's a real God who really is always with us, who never leaves us and never forsakes us. And our troubles, our sufferings, our tears really, truly matter. Because sometimes we feel like when we're going through the troubles, we feel like it doesn't really matter to anybody. No one else really cares. Nobody else understands. They don't know what it feels like to be me. And God says, no, that's not true. Let me share a verse with you from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was written about 700 years before Christ, but it's written about uh, 700 years after the start of Israel as a nation. <laughs> uh, I'll get used to this. <laughs> the they there is talking about the people of God, Israel, from its inception as a nation under Moses up to the time of Isaiah, which would have been roughly around 700 years. He says, when they, God's people, suffered, notice that's kind of part for the course, God did what? God suffered too. Pause for a minute. When you suffer, particularly if you're, you're one that's been reconciled to God, you've put your trust in Christ, you really trust Christ, you're, you're devoted to his word and his will, you want to live it out because you trust him. When you suffer, any kind of suffering, physical, mental, emotional, relational, financial, whatever, circumstantial, when you're suffering, do you have a conscious awareness that God is actually suffering too with you. 
Or do you feel kind of alone? I mean, God's big and he lives in the heavenly dimension and he's invulnerable. And have you ever thought of this? Have, have you ever taken this to heart? Listen, every parent understands this. If, you're, if your child was being bullied or if your child was being rejected or if your child was going through a terrible physical struggle, you may not be the one being bullied. You may not be the one being rejected. You may not have any physical problems at all as their parent. But let me ask you this, parent. Do you suffer with that child? Of course you do. And truth be told, you may suffer more than the child because your emotional equipment is more sophisticated and developed and you actually may suffer more than the child. God, you've got to get this picture of God. Sometimes we have this picture of this detached being who, who's, if anything, a little disappointed and angry with us. And that's not the God of the scripture. The Israelites, let me just tell you, they were a rebellious lot, and yet here it says he was suffering when they suffered, even though they brought most of the suffering on themselves. I won't ask you for hands. I can just tell you my story. Most suffering in my life I brought on myself. But this tells me it doesn't matter. God still suffers with me. And when they suffered, God suffered too, and the messenger of his presence acted to save them out of enduring love. Notice his love endures and compassion and concern. God himself rescued them through all those years long ago. God picked them up and he carried them through. I don't know about you. I have so many stories of rescue where God's rescued me, continues to have to rescue me. And he's faithful in this. But if I don't recognize it, if I don't know it, that this is who he is and this is how he feels and that he's with me, I can feel very alone and something that I should be cherishing, I might miss out on entirely. This guy named Larry Crabb, he's a Christian psychologist. He wrote a book, uh, I think it was back in 2003, I read it, it's a really good book. You might not like it yourself, but it's a good book nevertheless called The Pressure's Off. And in the book, he tells this story on himself about how he was three years old. Uh, he, he remembered it this clearly, you'll see why in a minute. And he came to the conclusion that he was a big boy now and he could go to the big boy's bathroom for himself. So he goes upstairs in his parents' house and goes in the bathroom and confidently goes in there, slams the door shut, puts the lock on because that's what mom and dad do, you know, and he's a big boy now. Well, he successfully does his business, so he's feeling pretty darn good about himself. And then he goes to get out of the bathroom and he can't unlock the door. I'm just curious, how many of you can remember as a child ever being trapped in something like that? You feel terrified. I mean, you, re you really do. You think, I'm going to spend the rest of my life in here. <laughs> so he does what we as children do. He just starts screaming and yelling, help, 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 mom, dad, help, help. Well, his mother comes rushing to the door, and she's talking to him, trying to calm him down. But she can't get it unlocked either. So now his panic goes up, you know, because now nobody can rescue him. He's doomed to be in the bathroom forever, you know. <laughs> now, he doesn't know that dad... Dad's already run outside to the garage, and he's getting the ladder ready. He's propped it up against the outside of the house, and now he's pulling up the window from the outside, and he marches into the bathroom, Dad does, walks over to the door, just flips it with his mature strength, flips it right open, and little Larry, who's three years old, just pops up and says, Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Runs right outside to play. Now, Larry writes much later in his book, The Pressure's Off. He said, You know, I'm not three anymore. When he wrote it, he was about near 60. He's much older now. He says, and 
I got a feeling that a lot of my Christian life, that's the way I thought it was supposed to work. You know, I, I do everything that I can, make it work for myself. I try to keep things as smooth and under control as I can. But then if I get in a jam, I get in, in, trapped in something, I just scream out, I yell out to God. God comes in, he unlocks the door, and then I run out and play. And that's the way the Christian life is supposed to work. He says, now that I'm older, I know that's not at all the way the Christian life works. And he goes on to say in this book, he says, the truth is some marriages never get fixed. Some heartaches never get undone. Some financial disasters never get set right. Some parents who lose their kids, lose their kids. They never return. And he goes on to list this litany of, of things that sometimes don't get fixed, even in the lives of God's faithful dear children. And then he says these words, God has climbed through the small window into my dark room thinking back when his dad climbed through that small window into the bathroom. But he doesn't walk by me to turn the lock that I couldn't budge. Instead, he sits down on the bathroom floor and says, come sit with me. He seems to think that climbing into the room to be with me matters more than letting me out to play. I don't always see it that way. Get me out of here, I scream. If you love me, you'll unlock the door. He goes on. Dear friends, the choice is ours. Either we can keep asking him to give us what we think will make us happy, what we think will make us happy to escape our dark room and run to the playground of blessings, or we can accept his invitation to sit with him for now, perhaps in darkness, and to seize the opportunity to know him better and represent him how? Well, in this difficult world. He's saying, do you want to grow? Do you want to have a life that has some treasure to offer? Do you want to be a wounded healer? You've got to at times understand that sitting in the unprocessed mess, sitting in the place where you feel in trouble, where you are suffering, where you feel trapped, where you feel boxed in, where you might feel like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to take any more, just sitting there, knowing that God is sitting there with you, that that can somehow do something better in us, for us, than being let out to play in the playground of blessings. These are words for the mature folks. And if you're not there yet, maybe you're new to Christ, uh, don't be scared off. Your, your, your God will move in your life at the level that you're at. But this is where he ultimately wants to take us. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul again, writing in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, Now may the Lord Jesus Christ and our Father God, who loved us and in his wonderful grace gave us eternal comfort, eternal comfort, and a beautiful hope that cannot what? Can I fail? You see, God has given us this eternal comfort. The scripture says that when we return to Christ, putting our trust in him, becoming his follower, says God forgives all of our sins. He gives us the gift of everlasting life. He gives us the promise he'll never leave us, never forsake us, that he's going to start a process in us to help us to develop, to become who he always meant us to become, a Christ-like version of ourselves. If you want to know the purpose of your life, every day of your life, your trust in Christ is meant to grow every day of your life. Your character is meant to become more like him. That is the purpose for every human life. Miss that, and you've missed the purpose of of life and you will wander around aimlessly and frustrated I promise you embrace that and you will never live a meaningless day in your life the choice of course again is ours 
he goes on to say this. He says, encourage your hearts and inspire you. This promise, these eternal promises and so forth, were to encourage our hearts and inspire you with strength to always do and speak what is good and beautiful in his eyes. So we need to cherish when we're in trouble, and you might be in trouble today. You probably are in trouble today. You probably have some trouble in your life. You might even have some trouble in your life that's it's breaking your heart. It's making you wonder, how much longer can I do this? Maybe start by saying, reminding yourself, God's suffering too. You're not alone. He feels your feelings. He feels your emptiness, your loneliness, your brokenness, your despair, maybe your hopelessness. And that matters if you trust it. It matters if you believe it. A guy named Viktor Frankl, most of you maybe have heard of him. He uh, wrote a famous book called Man's Search for Meaning. He was in Auschwitz during World War II. He was a, a Jewish psychiatrist. He had studied for years to put this book together, Man's Search for Meaning. He believed that as long as you had meaning in your life, that's pretty much what you need, as long as things make sense. And he had smuggled a manuscript to this book into the Nazi death camp. But they searched him, they found it, they destroyed it, they treated it like it was dirt. It was years and years of research tossed away. And then to make it worse, they stripped his clothes off him. He stood there naked with the rest of the prisoners. And then they took old ragged clothes that they had taken off the bodies of other prisoners that had been sent to the gas chamber, put those vile, filthy clothes on him. And he stood there, he said, and he pondered, does my life make any sense or have any meaning at all? I have no children. Nobody's going to remember me. No family. What? My family's all been killed. Uh, my book is now gone. Does any of this make sense? And he reached into his pocket, the pocket of another prisoner who had been taken to the gas chamber, and he pulls out this little piece of paper, and on it was this Jewish prayer. You know, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he said at that point something clicked, and he realized that the very basis of his book, that if a man has meaning, that that's enough, and something changed inside him. And, and here's his words. There's nothing in the world that would so effectively help one to survive even the worst conditions as the knowledge that there is meaning in one's life. Now catch this. You may not find immediate meaning. We want meaning in the suffering. And we might not always find the meaning in the suffering immediately. But meaning in your life you have is a guarantee if you're a Christ follower. He who has a why to live, to live for, can bear almost any how. If we know there's meaning. And the scripture gives us lots of meaning. We, we've already looked at this passage in 1 Corinthians. In the fourth verse it says, we go through these sufferings, these trials, so that we can comfort others. But the scripture gives us other meaning. It says that sometimes we go through trials and difficulties because they purify our character. They have a way of building resilience in us of character. They have a way of deepening our trust and our intimacy with God. They have a way of building um, our awareness of our need for others. There's all kinds of things the scripture promises. There's always meaning our suffering. Sometimes it says our sufferings are literally so that we can be an influence on other people who observe in a positive way. And sometimes it says even in scripture, we're influencing angelic entities that are watching what goes on down here. We're not the only ones in the universe. So we have lots of whys to give us meaning. So to be a wounded healer, you have to cherish God's comfort when we ourselves are in trouble. But God doesn't want it to stop there. He wants us to, to channel his comfort. 
And this is where we see, I think, a lot of times the tin can, the rusty edge of the tin can in the ground. And we don't understand there's treasure. God says there's treasure inside of us. The treasure is the trouble that we've experienced. Pause one minute and think this through. Some of you, I'm include myself in the some of you, we've been through some things that are, that are so difficult, so painful, that we are so happy they are behind us, we don't ever want to think of them again. In fact, we've used a lot of energy in some years of our lives to, to put these things out of our mind because they are so tormenting. Maybe they make us feel shame. Maybe they make us feel guilt. Maybe they make us feel inferior. Maybe they make us feel hopeless. Whatever it is. And yet, God says that maybe some of that pain that we can't even muster strength to think about, maybe, and I'm not saying this is for all of us, but just maybe that's the treasure, that's the gold that God wants us to dig out of the ground and find somebody else that's going through the same kind of suffering. Maybe it would not only bring healing and hope to them, but, but what if, what if it would bring a deeper level of healing to us than what we expect is possible? Let me share something interesting with you. Sympathy is feeling for someone. All of us can develop sympathy. All of us should develop sympathy. Sympathy, it's, you know, when we see somebody going through anything difficult, we say, man, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm praying for you. Oh, man, I hate to see you going through this. Sympathy is good. There's nothing wrong with sympathy. And we should be growing in our sympathy for others. But you cannot connect in a healing fashion with another human being with just sympathy. In fact, the truth of the matter is that many times when, we, when we're going through trouble and somebody expresses sympathy to us, we almost feel a little more lonely, a little more pain, a little less understood. And we just kind of, we don't say it to them, but we kind of feel like, man, I just wish you shut up. You know, I know you mean well, but you don't get it. Sympathy is good. Sympathy is feeling for someone. We ought to be developing it, but there, there's something else. There's this. Empathy is feeling, what is the key word? With someone. Empathy is a language that you have learned. It's a language that I've learned. We all speak different languages in empathy. In other words, the language, it's the language of suffering, your unique suffering, your unique trouble, your unique trial, my unique suffering, my unique trial. I have a language now. And when I meet somebody who is going through the same kind of thing, we speak the same language. And they know it instantly. And it brings comfort to them. This is easy to see. Let me just give you an example. You and I, we go through some sort of a trouble. We have friends, right? We have church members. We have families. And they typically express sympathy. That's wonderful. I'm not trying to make small of that. Please don't misunderstand me. But somehow it doesn't help much. And yet, People can get in groups, and people do this all the time in our world. You know this. People can get in groups with absolute strangers, 10 strangers, 12 strangers, 5 strangers, absolute strangers. They're not their friends. They're not their church family. They're not their real family. They're strangers. And yet you get in these groups and have instant connection with these people on the deepest level, and it's somehow, you can't quite explain it, it somehow makes you feel 
better. What's the clue? What's the key? They have gone through the same experience of you. We have all kinds of groups. We have groups for people that are struggling with addictions. We have groups for people that have lost children. We have groups for people that have lost loved ones. I mean, on and on we could go. Why is it that these strangers can speak to us and affect us deeply on an inward level? Well, here's why. Because they have empathy. They know the language of our pain. They, they speak the same language. And that can do something that sympathy can't do. Now, I'm leading up to this because we read in the first verses, it says that, you know, God comforts us in all our troubles so that we will comfort others that are going through the same. We, me, you, that means that's part of my identity. I'm meant to be a wounded healer. I have treasure. God says there's gold inside of you, and the gold are the troubles that you have gone through. Will you take it out of the ground, and will you start sharing it? Because what seems to be an inconsequential thing to you is a treasure that might bring healing, God's healing comfort to the soul of another. Can you believe that about yourself today? I mean, some of you, you've probably spent a lot of years saying, oh, God, I know you want me to do something. I just don't know what it is. Show me, show me, show me what it is. Five years goes by. God, I know you want me to do something, but I don't know what it is. Show me, show me, show me. Ten decade goes by. God, I know you want me to do And you're, you're waiting for it to happen, you know, the sky to roll back and you're written on the clouds, you know, this is what I want you to do. <laughs> and God's saying, haven't you had enough problems? There's what I want you to do. Take your problems, your troubles, and I'll help you find somebody else that's got the same kind. And you'll be two wounded people, and somehow I'll come into that because our God is a wounded healer, Jesus. Jesus is forever, forever a wounded healer. When you read about the book of Revelation, it's, you, you keep reading about this lamb that was slain, a lamb. It's Jesus, and the wounds are eternally visible in his hands. He is forever the wounded God. That's the God I worship. And we're meant to be his people, his wounded people, his wounded healers. We hate trouble. We don't want it. But man, since it's happened, why not? Why not let God turn it to gold? Passage here from Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says it kind of really simply it says do what is in the best interest of each other including sharing each other's what is the word burdens if you've been through something that someone else is going through you can share that burden in a unique way they know you understand them they know you understand their feelings you connect they're not so alone that's the true meaning of the law of love that emanates from the character of God one more in First Thessalonians it says, so comfort each other. You have the ability, I have the ability to actually comfort somebody. In other words, the comfort of God, he wants it to channel through me, through you. So it says, comfort each other and make each other, what is the word? I, that's mind-boggling me. I have the ability, you have the ability to infuse strength into someone else. And, and this is God's purpose for us. And it's, it comes from the basis of our troubling experiences often. Even as it goes on to say, even as you're already doing. One more in the book of Hebrews 10, 24, it says, discover creative ways to encourage others and to motivate them. You and I have the ability to motivate one another. Find creative ways. It takes us out of ourself. If we're only just thinking about, oh man, I just want to you know, keep my growth going on and keep my life calm. Well, that's pretty shallow existence. Discover creative ways to encourage others and to motivate them toward acts of compassion, 
doing beautiful works as expressions of God's love. Well, God wants us as wounded healers to cherish his comfort first whenever we're going through our situations and know he is there with us. He does feel, he does suffer with us. But then he wants us to channel that comfort to others. I want to close with a story of a guy. He's been a, uh, he retired in 2015. His name is Lieutenant uh, Jack Cambria. And for 33 years, he was head of the NYPD hostage negotiating team. And, uh, you know, just imagine all the, the cases where he's talking people, you know, off of ledges and trying to stop people from shooting people and so forth. And so they ask him, after all of his years of experience, you know, what is the key? What, what makes a great hostage negotiator? And here's, here, one of these places is his answer. Here, I'll get this yet. <laughs> the very good negotiators, I think, are the ones with the life stories. Particularly, he would add, life stories of what? Pain. And have that, that have produced compassion for others. And by the way, when you go through pain, one or two things are going to happen. You're either going to get bitter and defensive and protective and isolated, or you're going to get better and become more sensitive and compassionate and caring. He says, particularly those that have life stories of pain that have produced compassion for others. Cambria claims, good negotiators must experience the emotion of love at one point in their life. To know what it means to have been hurt in love at one point in their life. To know success and perhaps most important, to know what it means to know what? Failure. We're all qualified, aren't we? We've all had our share of failure, no doubt. Our share of heartbreak. This enables a deeper level of connection. For a while, I'm going to close each message kind of the same way I opened. Today we're going to do something a little different, but there's a few sentences I, I want to share with you. What did God want you to know today? I mean, now that you've been here, what is it that God wanted you to know today? I'm not sure why we're doing this, Kelly. <laughs> um, second question. What does God want you to do today? Real simple. What did God want you to learn today? What do he want you to know? Pause for a minute. Try, try, try to ask yourself, or answer it for yourself. And then secondly, now, more, more difficult, what does he want you to do? I'm not saying you're going to do it, but what does he want you to do? At least own that. Get that clear in your head. All right, now we're going to close a little bit different today in this. We're going to introduce a new song, and this song, we're going to use it throughout this series. And essentially, it, it's, a, it's a plea in the song that, that God wants us to see ourselves the way that he sees us. Uh, I, I am what you say I am. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to let the team come up here, and they're going to just lead you through the first part of the song. We want you to stay seated. I know some of you students hear music, you jump on your feet. Just stay seated. <laughs> and then in the second half of the song, when they think you know a little bit about it, Taylor, our tall young fellow up on stage, he's, he's going to ask you at appropriate time to stand up. Then I'm going to come back, and we'll close out very quickly. Lost, but he brought me in. Who oh, is love for me? 
Just one last thought. I mean, could it be that something that you've overlooked, you think it's just kind of some rusty can lid, it's, it's really gold, it's treasure, that God wants you to take your trouble and bring it into the life of somebody else that it will bring great benefit, great value. I mean, it's impossible, but that's exactly what God wants you to do today, to embrace your identity as a wounded healer. Let's pray. Father, you know us. You know the unique things that you, by your grace, have brought us through. Speak to us clearly that we can find our place amongst your core of wounded healers. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.